Judges in chapter 7. Amen. Judges in chapter 7. Joshua, Judges, Ruth. So Judges in chapter 7. We're continuing the life of Gideon here. And we're going to go to verse 1. Verse 1, we're going to read the first eight verses of Judges chapter 7. The first eight verses, Judges in chapter 7. There's a lot of talk about how in the world to say this name. And... uh, uh, Jerubbub, I've heard. Have you heard that one? Jerubbub. I think I've even said it. Jerubbabel, Jerubbabel. Anyways, but let's just say it. So then, Jerubbabel, Jerubbabel, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the valley of Moreh in the valley, and the Lord said unto Gideon. The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Now, put this in perspective again. We know a little bit from a little bit later in Judges, there's like 135,000 of the Midianites and the Malachites. And we know according to this section that there's, when we add the numbers together, that there's around 32,000 or so of this crew. Okay? So 32,000 versus 135,000. Anybody want that fight? Somebody's going, well, yeah, but what about Sparta and the 300? Yeah, they still eventually lost. You all know that, right? I mean, it was a great stand. Plus, they had, they had the terrain about, I mean, literally, they could stand 10 people wide and fight the whole battle. Uh, so this wasn't that. This is open ground, lots of opportunities for tactics. No thanks, I'm not really interested in that fight. And God said, yeah, you got too many. You got too many. Okay? So, verse 3. Now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. How'd you like to be one of the ten thousand? If you're scared, you can go home. What? <laughs> Next morning, twenty-two thousand people pack up, and there they go walking them down the trail over the hill. What is Gideon doing here? Okay, does Gideon know what he's doing? Verse four. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down into the water, and I will try them for thee there. And I will, I'm sorry, and it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, this shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down 10,000 people, okay? He brought down the people under the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, Everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue, as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that boweth down upon his knees to drink. 
Okay, so you get the picture. There's some that are reaching in the water and bringing it up, and there's others that are sticking their face in the water. Okay, you get you get everybody here. Okay. Verse 6. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were 300 out of 10,000. 300 men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the 300 men that lapped will I save you and deliver the Midianites into thine hand and let all the other people go every man unto his place. So the people took Vittles, if you want to say it different when you're preaching, go ahead. So the people took vittles in their hand and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man unto his tent, and retained those 300 men, and the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you very much for the day. Lord, we do thank you for, uh, Lord, your word. And uh, again, just the messages that you give us are just so clear, and I pray that you'd Help us again to see them tonight, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Oh, and by the way, if you look up proper, na- proper pronunciation on victuals, guess what you're going to find? Vittles. I know it's crazy. People think that's just a southern pronunciation. Anyways, I think you all know from my stories, I just recently, uh, I do like watching the skies, okay? My, you remember my, I just recently talked about my mom's love of storms and how she passed that on to me. But mom didn't just teach me to watch storms. I, I may have mentioned this before all, also, but often she would wake me up in the middle of the night, take me outside be, just to see the stars. Sometimes there'd be a meteor shower. We lived in Michigan, so we, occasionally we'd get to see uh, the northern lights, uh, sometimes the Milky Way would just be astounding. Uh, and we get in here too in Idaho. You just walk out and like, there's the Milky Way, clear as a bell. And so mom would often wake me up and we'd sit out back on the, on the patio, the back of the house, and just look up at the skies and maybe eat some ice cream or something. I, I love that. Those are good memories of my mom. So it should come at no surprise to you that when eclipses came around, we were watching them too. You know, you, you make the little box. Some of you make, you know, you make the box with the hole in it. You've all have done that. So you, you aim the box at the sun, and then you look opposite side, and the, bo- the little hole shines, a, shines the eclipse on the far side of the box, and you look at it. And, and uh, we used to do that and enjoyed that until I got a telescope. And I got a telescope that had a lens that you could look at the sun. So then we would watch the sun through the telescope and watch that, that clear edge of the moon passing across the sun, and then, then I eventually I got into some welding. and had welding helmets. So we'd have, we'd have kids coming up and like, here, put this on. Oh, cool. You know, and they, they could look through the telescope. And we thought it was cool. We liked it. I liked, it's fun watching that, watching the moon pass across, you know, and think about the people from long ago, the people, or even even today, that didn't understand how the whole process worked and saw it as an omen from God. Yeah, okay. Come on, I'll make sure everybody's here. The chili's later. It'll be fine. Okay. One of the earliest recorded eclipses of the sun, I'm not saying the earliest eclipse, the earliest recorded eclipse, okay, was called the Ugarit Eclipse. And we know about it because of a clay tablet found in Mesopotamia in the city of Ugarit. And we actually literally know from that clay tablet, the record, that the eclipse lasted two minutes and seven seconds, and it was on May the 3rd, 1375 B.C. 
That's pretty cool. 1375 B.C., we have a record of, I, I, I don't know where they found it. I just, I just put, saw this little blip about it, as much as I could get. So Ugarit is a city in, a port city in northern Syria. Uh, matter of fact, I think it's still a city. It's still a port city. Um, but the, the historians that were writing down on that clay tablet said this, that the sun was, quote, put to shame. The sun was put to shame during the eclipse. Now, that's interesting. Why? Because that is a very human view of an eclipse. That's an earth dweller's view of an eclipse. Let me ask you a question. Is the light of the sun ever put to shame? Period. Like, did it quit shining? No. It's still shining. The moon just got in the way. You understand? That's an eclipse. You know, back in those days, especially a lot of, a lot of religions worshipped the sun. Or, or even like, even in some of the Asian, um, the Asian further east uh, religions, their emperor got his strength from the sun. So if there ever was a, if there ever was an eclipse, then the emperor would have to do a special diet and special sacrifices so that he could regain his strength from the sun and all this stuff. Why? Because the sun got dark. No, the sun didn't get dark. The sun kept shining. It never stopped shining. The moon just got in the way. Everybody, everybody connecting? And it only got in the way for a very small section of space that happens to be on Earth. And not even for very long. I mean, you know, you get the whole picture. Matter of fact, if we could have looked on the other side of the moon during the eclipse, what would you see? A sun. And you'd also see a nice bright moon on that side. On our side, it's all dark. It's just blocking the light of the sun. The sun was not and is not put to shame by the moon. Again, the moon is just getting in the way. At the same time, if you think about, I love full moons. Matter of fact, man, we've had some great ones of late. If you've been watching, I love watching the, the moon when it rises and it's a full moon and it looks so big when it comes off the horizon. And what is that? Like, is the, the moon, you know, does the moon actually shine? No, it has no light of its own. It just reflects the light of the sun back to the earth. Again, that's a, it's amazing how God would do that to give us a big night light. Because people from all, for all centuries have been scared of the dark. Okay? But, and normally the moon is. It's a wonderful light in the night and just reflects the light of the sun, has no light of its own. And as far as eclipses go, let's just be serious about it. The sun is never going to be put to shame by the moon. It, we, we, just, we just enjoy the few moments, if you're, unless it scares you to death. The sun never stops shining. Its glory is always extended to the earth, just occasionally the moon gets in the way. So, too, is man in his relationship to God. And we see that in this passage. So, the clear warning in the passage is, don't let your strength eclipse God's glory. Don't let your strength eclipse God's glory. Well, why would you say that? Because the key verse or the key phrase in this passage is when the Lord looks at Gideon and says, the people that are with thee, in verse 2, are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, mine own hand hath saved me. You hear that? Who, who is going to provide the victory in this battle? God. 
And that's irrespective of the number of people involved. You understand that even if there were 32,000, God was still going to get the victory, but God knows that men would say, can you believe we did that? You hear that? Look what we did. Okay. Listen, you know what? I want you to follow this because, listen, what God is teaching us is, you know what? We just need to get out of the way because God wants to shine. So number one, men get in the way of God's glory. We do. We often claim glory for ourselves, don't we? Who, me? Look what I built. Look at what I have done with these two hands. Hey, have you noticed the, what... And we don't, we don't say this, but we do say it. Can you see the, the life that my faithfulness has produced? And always that's in comparison to other people's lives. Well, you know, there's your kids, and then there's my kids. We even sometimes try to act like our own light, and don't tell me we don't do the kids thing. Just think about your own private conversations where you go, because we could have, hello, pay attention, are you hearing me? Okay. We even try to act like our own light, like sometimes we have light, because we look at God and we ask, why hasn't God blessed me? Look at all the light I've been shining. Excuse me, who's the one with the light? We don't have any light of our own. The best way you can do is reflect God's light. Any, every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights. If there is anything good at all from us, in us, around us, because of us, it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with God. God is the one that brings the victory. God is the one whose real light has come. Let's see, Jesus said, I am the light. Okay, And we know that when we hold our light up, what are we holding? It's not us. It's Jesus Christ. Listen, Job went through the same thing. Job was a good man. Was he not? Job was good. And a lot of it says that. A lot of the book of Job. It even starts off, says that he eschewed evil. He was just. He was an upright man before God. He was a good man. But in the process of the whole conversation between the three friends and Job, Job begins to say, you know what? I want an audience with God. I want a court date with God because I'm suffering and I feel like I've lived a life that shouldn't produce suffering. I don't, this is, and God God finally shows up and says, oh, I just want you to know, Job, and if you go back and read it, I want you to know how small you are, Job. This wasn't your light that was shining. And listen, not that Job was a bad man, but all, all people, sometimes we get defensive about, well, look what I've done. Isn't this worthy? What do you mean you've done? Beware, beware. God had to show Job how really small he was and how only, he only saw God from his one little viewpoint, his one little angle, and he didn't have the picture of God shedding his own light and where Job's light really came from. I don't want to spend too much time there. Listen, I want you to think about this. God, and I mentioned this, God is where all good things come from, including your ability, your strength, your ability to breathe, the human body, the color of your eyes, your talent, the things you're good at, the things you're not good. Listen, God is the source. Don't think for a moment 
Don't think for a moment that you or anyone else is ever going to steal God's glory. But we do, don't we? I, it cracks me up watching the, uh, the sporting guys, you know, when they say, I just give all glory to God, you know, while they're on this little bitty news tidbit. And I'm not sure why they do that. I don't know if they're trying to keep the Christian, you know, or maybe because grandma's listening. <laughs> I don't know. But if you really watch them, keep, keep listening to what they're saying, they talk about how great they are. Watch them, watch them on the court when they, when they get interaction with one of the other guys. And you'll see what they really think about themselves. Man, you think you're all that? Come on, let's bring it on. Oh. Some of you all haven't played basketball. It's obvious. God, listen, you are not going to steal glory from God. And here's why. God doesn't share his glory. God does not, isn't there a verse that says something like that? I'm pretty sure it's Isaiah chapter 42 verse 8. I am the Lord. That is my name and my glory will I not give to another. Neither my praise to graven images. Not going to do it. Listen, this is what happens in a believer's life. Either, listen, either God is going to get the glory from everything you do or you're trying to steal it. Period. Either God is getting the glory from what you're doing or you're trying to steal it. There's, there's really no in-between. There really isn't. God in this passage literally has to get rid of a certain, certain groups of people because he knows that if they, he lets them win the battle, now who's winning the battle again? God's winning the battle. But if God lets 22,000 of these people fight the battle, they're going to walk away going, we awesome. We bad. Are you all here? 22,000 people. And these are the ones he lets go first. Fearful. The fearful. Why are they fearful? I want you to really think about this. Why are they feel fearful? Again, who's going to win the battle? So, where is fear in the middle of this? What, why? Why fear? God's going to win the battle. That's already been promised. It's already been promised to Gideon. Gideon himself even walking up saying, you know, hey, God's promised he's going to save us from the Midianites. He's going to lead me. Why don't you come along and help? That's great. If you're fearful, go home. I don't want to die. Wait, what? Were you listening? We're going to go in there and we're going to, we're going to get whooped. Did you see how many of them? Are you listening? Do you, see, the reason the fearful have to go is because they lack faith. They only see the battle in terms of their own, listen, their own ability. They look at that group and they say, I can't do that. Anybody ever saw a problem in your life that God said, I think I want you to tackle this. I can't do that. God says, fearful have no place. Why? Because they only see the battle, listen, because they only see the battle from their own ability, if they do get the victory, guess what they're going to see the victory as? From their own ability. So God can't use the fearful. No, they need to go home. The fearful need to go home. Why? Because they have no faith. They'll, they'll take it for themselves. Instead of seeing God, they would just think, man, I underrated myself. Did, did you see? I kind of took to the sword pretty natural. Did you see what I did to that one dude? You hear what I'm saying? Fearful people are self-focused people. 
Fearful people are self-focused people, and you know what? They're not going to experience the work of God. Those 22,000 people didn't get to see the victory. They didn't get to be involved. Well, excuse me, they saw it, but they didn't get to be involved in it. I wonder if someone went home and, man, I should have been there just having fun. (laughs) Here again, self-oriented. Self-oriented. This should be a lesson, honestly, this should be a lesson. If you spend a lot of your time fearful about what it is that God's got in front of you, pay attention. Because all people deal with, deal with fear. Pay attention, because what, it, what that means is, you are too self-focused. Why? Because God is going to give victory in our lives, but he wants to get the glory from it. And if we're so self-absorbed that we're too fearful, again, when we do get the victory, guess what? We're going to take the glory for ourselves. And God's not going to do that. But there's another group that he lets go. Of the 10,000 or 9,700, okay? 9,700, he has them all. Now this is, doesn't this kind of seem like, I mean, like super official, <laughs> trite? Let him go drink water. Okay, that group is not fighting. I mean, just think about that. By how they drank water? Seriously, think about that. What? It's such a little thing. Yeah, God pays attention to little things. God sees everything. Well, why would he do these? <clears throat> I, I don't know how else to put this. Is this group, there's one group, I, I remember doing this. We had a, we had a nature, uh, little nature park that we'd take our field trips at. You know, you can walk through the whole thing in like two minutes. But uh, there was a stream back at the back that I heard one of the rangers say, you can drink from that stream. But our teacher kept saying, oh, you can't do that. There'll be, you know, paramecium, because we've been learning about them in school. There'll be parasites and paramecium in there. You'll get it. But I heard the ranger say we could drink about it, so I waited until the teacher disappeared. <laughs> she gone, let's go, and dropped right down on my face and put my face in the water and got a really, it was really good. So every time we went, I'd be drinking out of that water. It was good stuff. You know what? You know what? When I had my face in the water, you know what I couldn't see? Whether or not teacher was watching. Thank the Lord I didn't get caught, but I could have. If I'd have been aware, instead of so, so invested in getting my drink of water, I might have done like some of these other guys, which, you know, how inefficient. I mean, seriously, what, where are you going to get the most water from, by sticking your face in the water or by going like this? Has anybody ever tried to do that? Like, you know, try to get a, get a handful of water and bring it up to your mouth? It's really inefficient. You don't get near as much water. It's like, I'm not getting enough. But you know what you do? You're paying attention to everything that's going around. If you're, not, if you're going like this, you're bringing up, your, your eyes are still up. You can still see what's happening. The rest of these guys were completely self-absorbed. I'm thirsty. Thunk. <laughs> the, 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 the enemy's just down the hill. I, I don't know how to say this. This group is oblivious. We'll just call them self-absorbed. I don't know how else to, how else to say it. They're just self-absorbed. They're just happy to be here. The other group were aware. They were watchful. Okay? That's the only reason you drink like that, because it's not efficient. The only reason you drink like this is because you're being aware. Does the Bible ever tell us to be watchful? Think of 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, 
Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Even in things like drinking water? Yeah. Well, how, why would it be that serious? I don't know. Maybe it's serious enough for us to be watchful in even little things, like what do you watch on TV? What books do you read? Well, how, that's not a big deal. Neither is drinking water. Sometimes we think the devil is a complete idiot and doesn't know how to fool us. I really think believe, that believers somehow think that the devil's just around somewhere. And they, you know, he must be an idiot. He only shows up you know, with a pitchfork and a red tail and horns. And we'll recognize him immediately, forgetting that the very first thing he did on the planet was deceive a human. Hello? And he hasn't changed. He's good at it. He's very good at it. The Bible even says he can appear as, as a what? An angel of light. Don't think that you got a handle on the devil. Oh, I don't think so, pal. He, we're supposed to be wary, watchful in everything, honestly. Now listen, think about the two groups that left, the fearful and the 10,000, and probably especially in this 9,700. Do you think that there were probably some natural warriors in that group? Maybe they just hadn't discovered it yet? I, you know, uh, watching my Katrina is amazing. She, you give her a stringed instrument, and she'll be plucking out a tune. If she's never seen this thing before in her life, and she'll be plucking out a tune in no time flat, a, a recognizable tune. Because she has a natural propensity for stringed instruments. Okay? There are some people who have a natural propensity for war. Matter of fact, some of the greatest of our own warriors were like farmers and teachers. And it was discovered when you put them in battle, they're good at it. They can take on five or ten people and it not even be a big deal. They, they know how to do this. There are people that can literally look at a battlefield and almost predict how the battle is going to progress just by looking at the terrain. I, I, you, some of you know my, my, my dear friend who was in the military. We used to play an online game, a battle game against each other. I say used to because the first time we played it, I had a few games under my belt and I beat him. And then he figured the game out and I never beat him again. Never. I mean, not once. He, had, he understood the game. I was like, how did you do that? That's not even possible. How in the world? Why? Because he saw the whole thing. Of course, you know, as an officer, got some strategy training. But there are people like that. Don't you think that there were some naturally gifted people, people that would have been born to it, that they would have, I mean, seriously, they would have been helpful in the battle. Man, we want that guy. He doesn't get picked last at dodgeball. Y'all here? Listen. God let them go on purpose. Why? Because he won't share his glory. He will not share his glory, especially with someone who is going to steal it by, by claiming the benefit from their own natural ability. And where did that ability come from? Well, so then the thought is, okay, listen, he's removed and removed and removed. He's basically got nobody, 300 people, you know, and this isn't Sparta. Why, why doesn't God just fight the battle himself then? If that's how he's going to do it. Well, if, I mean, think about that. Let's just think about that seriously. If all we did was that God fight the battles, okay, literally, and no man involved at all, can you imagine how boring that would be? 
Wow, I wonder who's going to win this time. Can we get a bet on this? What? Nobody wants to take a bet? You realize God uses men. His work on the planet is done through men. God still uses men. Once you think about the 300 that are left, they're watchful. They're up. I'll tell you, one of the things that I appreciate, um, uh, I'll just, since he's not here, I can, but Brother Luke, Brother Luke has a uh, somewhat of a ministry mindset. So if I need something, and suddenly I kind of start going like this, Luke is immediately looking at me like, what does he need? He's watchful. So during the service, if suddenly, I'm, if suddenly it looks like I'm needing something, he'll be looking right at me like, trying to figure out, trying to read ahead. What, what is he missing? What does he need? Okay, what is he doing? He is being aware. Uh, that's one of the things that when I, when I was an assistant pastor and I was leaving to come here, I was training the next two, us, two guys who are going to be the assistants, and I was saying, you need to be paying attention. Pay attention. Watch preacher. What do you mean, watch preacher? Because sometimes he forgets a pen, and he'll start looking around. Do, do you need a pen? Okay, I always kept two pens in my pocket on purpose because he might need a pen. I was always watching, paying attention to the leader. What, what does he need? Oh, boy, do, do, do you need your glasses? I can see him doing that. Preacher, you need your glasses? I'll get your glasses. <laughs> but, you know, what is it? If he's like looking for a verse, I want to find that verse. It's this verse right here, preacher. I'm trying to remember. You know what I'm saying? These 300 men, when, they were, when, they're, when they're doing this here, you know what they're doing? They're watching for the enemy. Could be also that they're watching Gideon to make sure, what's next, boss? What do we need to do? You know, sometimes we get so caught up in the, in the rigmarole of life, we get stuck in a rut, that we, we get our heads down, we forget to look and pay attention. Pay attention. What is God doing here? What, is God, what, what might God be doing here? Have you ever had one of those mornings where suddenly God says, you have any tracks in your, in your purse? you have any tracks in your coat? Oh, yeah, and you go and you find them and you get them, and then you get home and you're like, I didn't give one of them out. <sighs> Aware in the morning and asleep while I'm gone. <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. Listen, watchful people. Watchful people see the action of the enemy. Watchful people see the, see the, the needs or the direction of the leader. Watchful people. You know what? You know what? There's, there's no talent involved there. They're just faithful. There's a position on board a ship. Maybe Brother Craig or Brother, uh, Brother John could tell you a little bit more about it, but the, the position is called lookout. And if I understand right, there's a night lookout, there's a different shifts, there's a lookout, okay? You know what the lookout's job is? To look out. <laughs> it's his job. His sole job, uh, it's, I mean, it involves a little bit more, but he watches, he watches the sea, and he watches all directions. What is he watching for? Anything. Literally. Anything. Is it a floating log? Is it some, maybe a cloud bank? Is it another ship? Is it an iceberg? He's watching for that. The moment he sees it, what does he do? Hey, I see such and such at this, look, at this you know, point of the beam or whatever. There's something over here. There's something over there. He also watches the ship. He's supposed to watch the ship. Anything he sees, something on the ship that doesn't really meet up to what he, what's, you know, his, his list says it should, he's going to call and say, hey, this is, this is not what it's supposed to be. He has no command duties. He can literally, if I understand it right, he cannot order anything. His job is to report 
what he sees faithfully. Now, I know there's an officer of the watch, gets a little further along, but the lookout, that's his job. I see this, and he reports it to those who can make decisions to do something about it. That's his whole job. There's no talent required. Just faithfulness. Do what you're supposed to do. What if the lookout gets itself absorbed? Might he miss something? What if the lookout gets fearful? Is that something? Could that be something? Maybe that's something. Hey, I think I see something. I think I see something. I think I see something. You hear hear what I'm saying? Faithful observance, faithful communication with the commanding officer, no talent required. Sounds like 1 Corinthians 4.2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found capable, right? Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found talented, right? No, faithful. Faithful. And we know from Bible, just kind of as a side note, faithful people are rewarded with more, aren't they? Faithful people, drink. they drank water right, so guess what? They got to join Gideon to win the battle because they drank water right. I want you to think about that. They were faithful in the little things, and God said, yeah, these are the ones I'm going to use to help win the battle. Is that anywhere else in Scripture? Little things, faithful and little? How about Matthew, Mark, Luke? I think Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew 25, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Some of them faithful with just a few dollars end up getting to rule cities. God wants to use men who will reflect his glory to others, not try to steal it for themselves. What about Matthew 5.16? What does the Bible say? Let your light. What's your light? Jesus, Jesus is the light. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify you for your, what a great person you are. Right? That's what the Bible says? That's such a talented person. That person is a great singer. They're such a good speaker. Man, you play the piano like, you know, it's angels. You hear what I'm saying? No. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Amen. Listen, there's only one to get the glory. It is the only thing, if there's anything that we can do, is reflect God's glory to other people. So here's the simple statement. Get out of God's way. Get out of God's light. He's just like the sun and better. He hasn't quit shining. I don't know if you know that or not, but it's not like God has dimmed since Peter and Paul. No, he's still the exact same son, the exact same power that he's always been. He is the light of the world. Jesus has not lost any power on this planet. There's none. Stop, just get out of God's way. Let him shine. So what does that mean? Well, it might be good instead of seeing yourself as a benefit because of your talents. You hear what I'm saying? Uh, No kidding, no kidding. I was there talking to the music director of Southwest Baptist Church. Uh, who's a great man, Brother Floyd Schecksneider, was one of the best music directors I, I've probably ever seen, when a lady walked up and says, um, I think you should use me more. You hear that? I think you should use me more. What is she saying? I believe my talent is of use 
to God. Do you hear that? Does everybody hear me? Stop seeing your talent as something that God needs to pick up on. Or the pastor just needs to see. Stop being, listen, stop being, now listen, take this with a grain of salt. I know how we raise kids and all that, but stop being proud of what you're good at and sad about what you're not good at. Listen to me. Stop being proud of what you're good at and sad about what you're not good at because both of those things are irrelevant to whether or not God's going to get the glory. Do you hear what I'm saying? God is going to get the glory. He is going to do things in your life. And your talent or lack thereof is irrelevant to the fact of God getting the glory. What is relevant? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Watchfulness. Paying attention. Our talent, literally, our talent is only as good as how much glory God gets from it. Our talent is only as good as how much glory God gets from it. Too much of your talent, and guess what happens? Eclipse. And guess how much light you have all by yourself. Listen, I, I don't have any problem with us you know, clapping for the kids, and, I, and that's not a rule I've made in the church, but I'm always leery of this, because this is what we do in performances, you know, when we go to the concert. Oh, they're such a great violinist. We're not... We're not when people get up here and sing or they go over there and play the piano or, or heaven forbid somebody should actually go over there and sit and play something, praise the Lord, that would be amazing, okay? We don't, we're not, oh, that person is such a great person, you know. No. They're not receiving the glory. That's not what this whole building is even for is people getting glory. The whole purpose of this building is God gets the glory. Save, save your appreciation for someone's talent for the concert, for the baseball game. This is appreciation for God. Get, you know what, frankly, get your talent out of the way. Honestly, if your talent is going to become something where you can't, where God cannot get glory, then, then you need to get it out of the way. Oh, by the way, your talent did come from God. You can use it for God's glory. Are you? David knew this. Listen, Psalm 119, verse 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, David said. What does that mean? I have, I have been reduced in strength. 32,000 to 300. I've been reduced in strength. It is good for me, David said. Paul even said it a little bit better in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. He said, unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul's weakness. Most gladly, Paul says, therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. What, what is he talking about? When I'm not eclipsing, but I'm actually kind of weak in this matter, that's when the sun can shine. Trying to steal God's glory. God needed, listen, God needed Paul's weakness to become so big that even Paul himself could say, man, God's glory is the only thing that's doing anything in this life. 
It's God. Some of you, listen, I want you to think about this. Some of you have literally, you feel like God has taken away this and taken away that, and you become weaker and weaker, and you can't help it. You don't understand it. And the whole thing is that God is trying to help you get out of the way. Because he wants to do a work. And there's too much of you and not enough of him. I don't know, I just, I got this disease or I got the sickness or I just don't know what else I can do. Yeah, mm -hmm. God's taken away your strength. He's going to take away that and going to take away that. Why? Because he does not want, you at the end going, wow, I think I underrated myself. I must have a natural, no. He's going to get it done so when you walk out the other end, you're going to look back and say, oh, that was God. (laughs) That had nothing to do with me. hear me? Take pleasure in weakness. You know what you need to be? Faithful. Faithful. Either you're giving God the glory in everything you do, in every small thing, the smallest thing or the biggest thing, or you're stealing it from Him. God will, listen, God's not going to use a man who's going to steal His glory. He's not going to do it. He's not going to lift up a man who will eventually look back and, and take the pleasure and glory for himself. God will not use a man who will take God's glory and work as his own work. He's not going to do it. You good at your do- job? L- listen, let's just make it practical. Are you good at your job? Do you get noticed for it? Who gets the glory? You good at singing? You good at preaching? You good at teaching? You good at cooking? Whatever. Who's getting the glory for that? Come on. Talent. Listen, here's the deal with talent. You can only do... It must be either left behind, forgotten, and ignored, or kept under control under the hand of the Holy Spirit and constant deflection. Every time there's praise given, it's always deflected back, back to God. Always. Man, you did such a great job at that. Thank the Lord. Teach yourself to say it. Thank the Lord. Man, this meal is amazing. Thank the Lord. Man, you did it. You just... You really touched my heart with that song. Thank the Lord. Don't start going, oh, oh shucks. <laughs> you hear me? Now, here's on the other side of that. Listen, careful. This also means that a lack of talent is also not a determining factor on whether or not you are doing what you're supposed to be doing. Well, I can't do that. I'm not, I don't have any gifts for that. Excuse me? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Oh, I can't do that. I'm not good with people. No, a lack of talent is also, matter of fact, it's probably a better clue. Do you know how many preachers I talk to who, and there's a pretty good mix, but how many preachers I talk to who say, I couldn't even stand up in front of my speech class and give a speech in high school. Preachers who used to stutter awful. And God used them. Well, that's just an amazing work of God. Yeah, it is an amazing work of God. It's an amazing work of God that he uses people that are talented too. Why? Because talented people can get up and say a whole lot of stuff and not spend time giving glory to God. You hear me? An abundance of talent or a lack of talent, listen, is not a determining factor on whether or not we do what God says.
It could be, listen, it could be that you are beginning to feel like God's wanting you to do something precisely because you do not have the ability to do it. Why? Because God wants to get the glory and you need to see it. And so do your family. So does your friends around you. Well, I don't know if I can do that. Yeah, I guess that means God might probably get the glory from it. You hear me? Now, I will, I'll just throw this in. We start talking about this. I'm not talking about sensings of the Holy Spirit or feelings like, well, I just feel like, no, no, listen, Gideon knew what he was supposed to do. It was clear as a bell from God. He was acting on the clear, direct command of God. He wasn't, he wasn't functioning on a, what could be a weird emotion from gastrointestinal issues. You hear what I'm saying? I had some amazing dreams this afternoon. This afternoon, of all things, take a, a nap that got interrupted like every 10 minutes, and I had these weird dreams about being in China. Weirdness. Well, I think because of that dream, no, no, listen, God, God was functioning on the clear, direct word of God that he received directly from the angel. And God doesn't do that anymore. He gave us the book. The book says, this is what you ought to do. I can't do that. Well, then you probably need to go after it. That's what we call living by faith. Amen. Stop looking at your talent and deciding whether or not you can obey God because of how much talent you have. The truth applies to you. Understand your, listen, here's the basic concept. God is always shining. And your strength can often hide God's strength, and God won't have it. He will do what it takes to reduce your strength until you get to the point when you can enter the battles of life and walk out the other side and say, that must be God. And you stop saying, wow. Just like the eclipse in Ugarit, the sun was not put to shame. Only from the viewpoint of those few guys that saw it for two minutes and seven seconds. The sun wasn't put to shame. No, there was a small shadow because something got in the way in one place of God's glory. You are not going to get in the way of God getting glory. Are you hear what I'm saying? You're, God is going to get glory. He's getting glory in the universe. Just look at the skies at night. Look at trees. Look at birds. God's getting the glory. Now, here's the problem is that sometimes we get, to, we get to think of too much of ourselves, And instead of just being faithful, you hear me? We start thinking a little bit too much of ourselves. You know what God's going to start doing? Just like he did to Paul. I want you to think about it. Paul, one of the, what we would have to say, one of the greatest Christians that's ever lived. I, I mean, I, I think that's an easy statement. He calls himself the chiefest of sinners, but I don't, I don't think any in the room would have to say that Paul has to be among some of the greatest Christians that have ever lived on the planet. And Paul said... Yeah, God had to take away my strength so I wouldn't, so I'd make sure he got the glory. God had to steal strength from Paul, make him weak, so God could get the glory. Let God make you weak. And if need be, weaken yourself. And I don't mean, you know, you know foolishness, but don't trust your talent. If your talent's going to become a problem, set it aside. Tackle your enemy. What's your enemy? Well, sin, obedience to the Lord's command, trust, faith, giving the gospel, loving the brethren. All those things are battles. 
Hello? Loving the brethren, that's a pretty good battle all by itself. Giving the gospel, that's a pretty good battle. Who's going to win it? Not you. Only God. But he still uses men to win the battles. You can be a part of the winning team, or you can be a part of those around the sidelines that are either still talking about their own talent or talking about their lack of talent. You hear me? Let God make you weak and you tackle your enemy. God is going to get the victory. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. God is shining and he wants to use you to get his light to the world. He wants to do it. But he can't do it if you're going to think it's all about me. He will reduce his, He will reduce your strength. Amen. He will make you weaker and weaker. Why? Because he wants to get the glory in your life. Father, Lord, I don't think there's a person in the room that hasn't looked at portions of their life where they feel like God has stripped away portions of their life that made them comfortable. Lord, help us to understand why it is that you do make us weak. It's not out of meanness. It's not out of spite or retribution. For believers in almost every case, the reason is because He's going to get the glory. And our weakness is the only place and the only way that we will look and see that God is an amazing God. He is going to win the victories. He's going to win the battles. We just need to get out of the way. Lord, I pray that you'd help us as believers. I, I just think about interactions we'll have tonight or this week. Lord, help us even in the small things to look How is God getting the glory from my action? How is God going to get the glory from my work tomorrow? How is God going to get the glory from the meals I make this week or or the friends that I talk to or the fun that I have or the shows that I watch? How is God going to get the glory from that? How am I going to be, Lord, less and He more? How is, like John said, I am going to decrease so He can increase? Father, please help us to see it. Lord, we want to be a part of your work, your light spreading on this planet. Lord, teach us to be faithful and watchful. And if it needs be that we need to have our comfort stripped away, our talent stripped away, our health stripped away, our finances stripped away so that we could learn to trust in you, Lord, do it do what's necessary. Do what's necessary, Lord. We offer ourselves completely to you. And I pray for even people in the room that are looking at their lack of talent as a reason not to be involved, that they'd realize it's the same problem. Lord, a lack of talent is the best opportunity for God to shine. Lord, and there's a lot of things in Scripture that we have no knowing the direct teaching and commandment and principles of the Lord that we fear to take part in because of a talent or a lack of talent. Lord, please, I pray, you'd give us boldness to just trust you. Lord, I pray that you'd, uh, Lord, speak to those 
in the room. Lord, I'm sure you already have been. And Lord, we ask that you'd have your will and your way in Jesus' name.